So we're going to do today our final message in uh, our series, Resilient Faith. Last week, uh, 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 Ian had said it was the end. We'll call this the bonus package, all right? Because I think it would be incomplete to look at all of the people that we saw in the early part of the Bible story and narrative, what we call the Old Testament, to see their faith and not ultimately talk about resilience according to Jesus. I mean, if you think about where we've been, Noah and Moses and Abraham and people like Esther and, and Hannah and obscure people like Amos or Jeremiah, all of these people, women and men, had something in their life, in their difficulty, that drew them closer to God. And some of them saw fruit, others didn't see it in their lifetime. But they lived resilient lives. And so as we think about their life, let's look at the definition one more time of what resilient faith looks like. Let's put it on the screen. Resilient faith is a posture of the heart and mind and our soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus while living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. So hopefully by now you realize that when we talk about living with resilience, we're not talking about a program. Like if you do these five things, that's why every week there are one, two, three, five thoughts on how to implement it in our own life because life is just more complicated than six steps of this or seven steps of that. And it's not a formula and it's not a program. Rather, in your unique life and in your unique world, in this unique moment, what Jesus wants to do is to impart life into you so that you can follow him and not cave in to the pressure all around us. You know, when I think of Jesus and then we say, say, how do we have resilient faith like Jesus? It almost seems like, well, he's Jesus. Let's remember for a second, though. Jesus was born into a messy world, just like ours. He's born in Bethlehem at a time in, in the history of the people of God where they're not in charge. There is no king from, from God's people ruling. It's the Romans. And in terms of faith, as Jesus walked around, he had, he had more to say against religious leaders. There was corruption that had crept into the people of God at the highest level. So worship at the temple was tainted at best. There was no prophetic voice for hundreds of years. God raised up these leaders to speak the word of God. But in the time of Jesus, it's silent. That's why John the Baptist coming before Jesus was this awakening of get ready for the word of the Lord to come. Jesus was born into a broken world, and they seem to have 400 years of silence. You feel like the last season's been wacko. For their people, for Jesus' people, it been hundreds of years of brokenness and silence. And then Jesus lives this beautiful walk with the Father that becomes the model for us. But he was born into a messy world. There were some people that expected God to leave. They were waiting for God to raise up another messenger. The one was the, uh, a Messiah, a king-like person to lead and guide. But many people had kind of given up on that. And so we find the same today. There's there's all sorts of opinions about God and about Jesus and about church, and it's just messy. So what can we learn of Jesus? There are hundreds of things that we could say. I want to focus on just one, because there's something about Jesus and his faith and relationship with the Father that Jesus actually invites you and me to step into. We can actually 
own this part of a, a vibrant walk with God, and it comes in an obscure way. Let's just look at John chapter 9. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 9. And I want us to see this one encounter in the life of Jesus that transforms not only a family, but the way we're supposed to see Jesus in difficult circumstances. Uh, John chapter 11. Did I say John 9? What is wrong with me? John 11. Anyway, lack of donuts, evidently. John 11 and verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this, in the little parentheses, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is kind of important to realize. Uh, Martha was, was broken about her life, recognized something beautiful about Jesus, and she poured out something very expensive to honor and to cover uh, the feet of Jesus when he was in a home. So we're not talking about strangers to Jesus. We're talking about Jesus-loving people here. Verse 4, when he heard this, I'm sorry, verse uh, 3, so the sisters went, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Lazarus, the brother of these two ladies who were close with Jesus, is really ill. So when you're really ill, who do you want to come to your house? Miracle worker, right? If, uh, if I'm sick, I don't need an accountant. I need a doctor. But actually, in, in their day, Lazarus obviously wasn't getting better, so they sent for Jesus. When he heard this, verse 4, Jesus said, the sickness will not and in death. That's good news. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So, so Jesus says, I'm going to take care of this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days and then said to his disciples, let's go back to, to Judea. So let's go and visit where Lazarus is. And that's a little strange word. I don't know if you caught the little punchline there. Um, sisters say, the one you love and know is sick. And Martha's obviously shown her, her love for Jesus by this, this, this humble sacrifice of even wiping his feet with her own hair. So they're intimates. They're close. So they say, Jesus, come. And Jesus says, great. There's not going to be death. You're going to be all right. And he doesn't show up which I don't know if you catch the irony that's quite confusing. It must have been confusing to these sisters because what we're going to see in a moment, if you jump down to verse 17, is things do not go well for Lazarus. If you're not, not familiar with the story, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. So there's a real pause here. And if you're Mary and Martha, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about him? Like Martha's poured out her life and devotion, and she has seen his miracle working power. But why doesn't he show up when friends call him? Verse 18, now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So there's a whole funeral. There's a season of mourning. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if... If you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is a fact. And there are moments when we wonder, God, where are you? And don't you wish sometimes you could just get face to face with Jesus and say, why? Like, why? Why me? 
Why the delay? Why are you unconcerned? Why did you not do what you've done for so many other people? But notice how she continues. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. This is just so good. So there's this tension. She doesn't accuse Jesus, but if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, he's been dead for four days. He has been buried. There have been people mourning. Notice this trust that Martha has about Jesus. God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says to her, verse 23, let's keep reading. Uh, your brother's going to rise again. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so she says the right answer because in their understanding, as God had revealed himself, he's going to love his people. And those who God calls himself at the final day when God judges everything, those who are apart from God will receive what they deserve, judgment. Those who are part of the people of God will receive what God had promised, life. And so there was going to be a resurrection at the end of days. And so Martha is like, yeah, I know. I know I'm going to see Lazarus again. And now the twist, verse 25. Jesus said to her, and this is where we want to hone in today, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes or trusts in me will live, even though they die. Sounds like the future. like he's going to rise again. But then this turn, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Which sounds confusing because it seems to me like everybody dies. But Jesus has this truth he wants to reveal. Do you believe this? Notice her response, verse 27, massive. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God who's come into the world. I want to focus on this, but let's like read the rest of it for some of us. Uh, the Bible might be new, and so you don't know what comes next. Jump down to verse 38, and let's just see how, how this encounter ends. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha says, the sister of the dead man, by, by this time, there's a bad odor. It's been four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Man, I wish I would have seen this. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I love it. He writes, as if you didn't know, the guy was already dead. The dead man came out. And his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of lemon and a cloth, uh, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and, and let them go. What a, what a scene and what a surprise on so many levels. And so what we're going to look at today is this resilient faith that we can learn from Mary and from Martha and from Lazarus, but really from Jesus. Um, here's what I want to suggest. Resilient faith doesn't come from you. 
The challenge with going through all of these people in the Bible and looking at their faith is we could get the mistaken notion that if I can be like Noah and if I could be like Moses or I could be like Hannah, I could be like Esther, I could be like Amos, I could be like any one of the people we've looked at, if I will do these things, then somehow my faith will be strong. The challenge is me and I haven't been doing these things. If I don't do, I don't get, and that's the nature of faith, which I want to be careful. The choices these people made made a difference. The choices you make really do matter. But what I want you to know is that resilient faith, strong faith, uh, a posture of the mind and the heart and the soul that will stay steadfast to following Jesus, even living in a culture that is in opposition to that pursuit, it doesn't come from you. It comes from God himself. God is the one who's the author of this kind of faith, and he's the one who will sustain and fuel this kind of faith, and he's the one that can grow this kind of faith, which ought to be encouraging to any of us struggling in our faith, is to remember that Jesus is the one who wants you to be strong and can actually make you strong. So write this down. Here's the one thought for today. Resilient faith is possible as we learn to lean on Jesus. Write it down. Resilient faith is possible as we learn, doesn't happen in a moment, to lean. I want you to get that visual. It's not like I'm grabbing hold of this. Learn to to lean, not on me, not on my best friend, not on my church even, not on my tradition, but to lean in on Jesus. What's the greatest battle that we're facing Today, I just wonder if we're on the same page. I mean, I think for many right now, we may see like, well, the greatest battle is, is, is a pandemic and the global you know, flip of life and all the unknowns. That is a battle. It's not the greatest battle. Well, no, the greatest battle's got to be financial. I mean, look at all the things that have been turned upside down. And I think for many of us here, it's a bit of a wake-up call that the rest of the world has already figured out. But unfortunately, here in the more lucrative West, we are slow to remember all of these things that we've attained, they could be gone. Your business can be crushed in a day. Your accounts can be emptied in a moment And friend, if you think you can control your future, you are living an illusion, if not a lie. Now, now, that's not news. It's just news to us. Most of the people in the world have already seen their lack of ability to control their surroundings and their future. We're just growing into what the rest of the world has known forever. But resilient faith comes from God. The biggest crisis isn't the pandemic. It isn't financial. It may be the biggest crisis, as you see, is what's going on in your world, whether it's a relational breakdown or whether it's unemployment or whether it's whatever it is, anxiety or fear or depression. All of these things are, are challenges. I'll tell us our greatest battle so we're on the same page. Our greatest battle is death. Death. Because money comes and goes and relationships come and go, but death is is the final word for all of us. And so it's a bit of a strong word, especially if you're a younger person, you're thinking, man, I'm only 10, I'm only 16, I'm only 20. How could you be talking about the end? It's because you don't know when the end is, and the end will come for everyone, myself included. There's a beginning, there's an end for you. And so the greatest battle we're fighting isn't the temporary, it's the permanent. It's the ultimate. And here's the good news. Here's why this 
resilient faith of Jesus and what Jesus wants to teach us is so important is Jesus defeated death. Death has been defeated. So the biggest struggle we're facing is we are finite and we have a beginning and we have an end. You have a date of birth, you have a date of death and there's a dash in between and there's a tombstone or whatever you end up with or your ashes spread to wherever, whatever favorite coastal breeze you want to, whatever, whatever you do, you have an end, my friend. And, 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 and here's the final word from Jesus about faith. You can live a life with no end. Because Jesus has actually defeated death. And this is the beautiful thing about John. He records Jesus saying, I'm, now we all know Jesus died and rose again. We, that's the cornerstone of our faith. It's Jesus' death that pays for our sin in full. You can't earn God's love. It's a gift. You can't earn favor with God. You can't be good enough to get God's lavish love. No, you receive it as a gift, and the gift comes with a cost. And Jesus, we believe, paid the cost for what we've done. So that laying our sin on the sinless one, a great exchange. Sin has been paid for, and now life can continue the way it was supposed to be. Adam, Eve, garden, blessing, closeness, a walk with God. So that can happen for anyone because of Jesus. And then he rose again, showing that he is alive and the life giver, right? Okay, so, so that would be one thing. But here's what we get about Jesus and about resilient faith. That's the cross and the resurrection. But before that happens, it's not like Jesus has power at the end. Jesus is power at the beginning because Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead before he had done any of the work on the cross. So it's not like Jesus somehow becomes powerful, it's Jesus is power himself. But here's, here's the crux here, and here's where it gets interesting. Mary and Martha had to learn, like we have to learn, and reading this is super helpful, that the nature of walking by faith in Jesus is wrestling with Jesus' silence in the middle of our trouble. Mary and Martha, had called out to their friend. Look, you think you're close to Jesus? They walked with him. They had meals with him. Martha touched Jesus' feet, the feet of God, with her own hair. And Jesus doesn't show up in their time of need. So if you think you're the first person to wrestle with God, where are you? God, why? God, what's going on? You're not the first to wrestle with it. And so Mary and Martha are, 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 are dealing with like what we're dealing with. If you think you're the first to be confused by the season, if you think you're the first to be wrestling with the unknown, if you think you're the first to feel like your faith is waning because Jesus isn't and didn't all that he said and said he would do, you're not alone. This is the story of the entire Bible. Here's what you get if you read the whole thing. Jesus knew what he was going to do before he did it. While he was away and Lazarus was still sick, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Well, he's obviously clueless because Lazarus died. No, Jesus said, this is happening so that God's son may be revealed as the sent one. In other words, Jesus knows the past and Jesus knows the now and Jesus knows the future and we can put our whole weight of trust, our absolute allegiance on Jesus who, who knows it all. And, and this, is, this is where faith becomes rich and deep in the middle 
of the funeral wailing ceremonies, Martha can say, he's dead, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now that's faith. There are people coming from Jerusalem to mourn and comfort the loss of the family. But she, in seeing Jesus for who he is, says, even now, it's not over. The question is, will we respond like Martha and lean in in our season or our struggle with what's going on around us? So Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So I want to hone in on that for a moment because I think this is where it gets really practical of what it means to have resilient faith according to Jesus. Now, it's going to come to us when we learn to lean on him in all times and in all things. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, though they die. So that's future. But those living, believing in me will never die. Resurrection and life. Are those two different things? It's like, is Jesus this plus this? Like, he is resurrection and all with that. He is life and all with that. Or is it two sides of the same coin? Like, this is my phone and I've got back and I've got screen and, and it's two dimensions of the same thing. I think what, what, what John is saying from what Jesus said is that it's two sides of the same coin. He is resurrection. Three things I want us to see about this that ought to inform our faith. One, Jesus is our future life. Just write that down. When we think about what it means to lean in on Jesus, it means to remember Jesus is our future life. And, and, and so Jesus can say, and Martha could even affirm, I know Lazarus will be with, with God in the resurrection. And that informs our life. If you follow Jesus, you have eternal life. And what, is, what does eternal life mean? Because it sounds complex. It means forever. Eternal. Life. That is a walk and a reality with God in a way that is indescribable because we get 50 years, you get 40 years, you get 70 years, maybe you get triple digits. You probably won't look very good, but, but you get what you get. That is not the extent of life. That is just part of our experience of life. We who follow Jesus, we are grounded in this truth. We were made for eternity. God has put eternity even in our hearts. And because God is eternal, we're made in his image, we are eternal and we will live forever. If you follow Jesus, you will live with who? God. Now that gives perspective. Life may be hard your entire life, and for some, it is. But leaning on Jesus, being resilient, means I know that Jesus has paved a way for life, 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 life with God. And now that is hope. That is biblical hope. That is Jesus' hope. That is Christian hope. That is Bible hope. I hope that that, that is deep within you future. Okay, but that, the problem is that becomes the great escape. And there are many who would just say, well, that's why you people need religion, because you actually think about the future that's not real, and you need some, like, escape and hope that life's bad now, but it makes me feel better, because I get an eternal Band-Aid, and, and God's going to fix me up in eternity if that's even there. And some would say, well, I, I don't need, all I need to think about is the now. And then here's what you forget. 
The second dimension of what Jesus is saying on the resurrection and the life is that Jesus is our life today. I think that's why he uses two words. I think it's why he teases it out. Because Lazarus would not be helped about future hope because he's dead, dead now. And Martha's not helped so much with future hope because Lazarus, the brother, is dead, dead now. And what Jesus comes to remind you and me about, he doesn't always do this. He doesn't go to every funeral and call people out. But he needs you to know. He wants you to know. He's calling you to remember that he is our life today. And this is why eternal life is beautiful, because eternal life does not mean future life only. It means life with God from the moment that I receive God's grace in and through Jesus and say, I turn from my old way and I turn from my rebellion to the God who loves me. Jesus saved me. You get life now. And that life, the quality of life, the quantity of life, the the depth of the life, it starts now and it goes with you until you go on to future life. Here, here's what we need to remember in days like this is eternal life is yours now. And if you belong to Jesus, that means nothing. Hear me, nothing. One more time because I feel like you're struggling. Nothing is impossible with God right now. So some of you are like, well, I, well I, yeah, I kind of know that. And it happened in the Bible and it happens over there, but it doesn't. I think what Jesus is saying is you want a faith that's vibrant and resilient, then you lean into Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you when? I need you now. And the people that thrive in their walk with God now learn to pursue him now because he's here in the now. A, a, a veneer religion would say, fire insurance, follow Jesus, future life. But now, man, good luck. Make it happen. But the good news is that Jesus is alive and working in the present, in the here. And so you need to know every thought, every possibility, every outcome, every what if ought to be filtered under Jesus is with me right now. Now, it doesn't mean, hear me, that doesn't mean you're always going to get what you want because there were many funerals in Jesus' day and he didn't raise everyone out. But it does mean I can walk around with absolute confidence that Jesus is with me and Jesus is for me and Jesus is working. So the third dimension of Jesus being the resurrection and alive is, is these two first thoughts coupled together. Write this down. Jesus is the one we can always trust. And I think that's the point of John giving us this beautiful encounter with Martha and Mary and Jesus. It's, it's, it's showing the uniqueness of Jesus. This is happening, Jesus says, so that, so that the Son may be glorified as the sent one. And now that Jesus has been revealed, now we know this is no secret, the people who are walking around. And could you imagine many of the people who saw Lazarus come out of the grave are the same people who rejected Jesus later, which is crazy, but it happened. But you need to know, I need to know that we see the whole story of the Bible. Jesus is the one who we can always trust. So let's get back to the issue of control. Control is an, an illusion at best. 
I cannot control my circumstances. Now, I have choices. My choices lead to real consequences. And so I, I, I don't minimize. I'm not a fatalist. The Bible is not just saying whatever's going to happen is going is to happen. Get that out of your thinking. If my people who, call, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will come, hear their cry, hear their land, heal their land. So your choices, my choices, they really matter. They're not just mechanics. Whatever's going to happen is not going to happen. We're not fatalists. We don't just wonder and say, okay, whatever. Yet at the same time, we have a grounded confidence that there are things that I will not understand, but I can trust a loving Jesus who's with me all of the way. And if Jesus is saying it's a season of suffering, like for Mary and Martha, he allowed them a season although it was only days, a season of mourning and a season of questioning. And some of us are in that space right now. I'm talking to more people right now who are wondering if their faith is legitimate, uh, wondering if their faith is really grounded, wondering if all of this has just been their tradition, um, to which I would say keep asking those questions, keep exploring but, but know this, the center of our faith is not our experience. It is Jesus. It's Jesus. And Jesus is resurrection, and Jesus is life, and Jesus is trustworthy, even if I don't get what I want. Verse 25, again, we'll put it on the screen. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Future, secure in Jesus. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is our life now. And so he's not saying you will never go to the grave. You will go to the grave, but that's not death for you. That's a new experience of life. And then at the resurrection, when Jesus returns and makes all things new, we get a whole brand new vision of what life really is to begin with. And so resilient faith is possible. It's possible for you. And I think this encounter helps us to see that it's possible to be in the middle of mourning and lean in on Jesus. And that's exactly, exactly what Martha shows us. Uh, so so what, what do I do now? Okay, so Jesus is resurrection and life, which means Jesus is life in my future. He's my future life. He's my today life. And he's the one I can always trust. How do I tease this out? One of the Bible writers who experienced this, uh, his name, he's, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was against the way of Jesus. His name was Saul. We know him as Paul because he met the Lord. Like he really met Jesus alive, resurrection. And it totally messed up his whole worldview. He went to reading the Bible again. He realized, oh my gosh, I got it wrong. Well, now that he embraced the way of Jesus, he became one of his followers, he starts to go out. And God is working through Paul's life in miraculous ways. I mean, I mean people would get close to Paul and were healed. Like mir the miracle working life of Jesus was alive in this man. And yet he struggled with a sickness or an ailment, he called it a thorn in the flesh that God never took away. So God is giving life to other people through this man, and yet he's in a long season of suffering. What, is, what does Paul do? He leans in. He, he's speaking good news and getting beaten with rods 
whipped like Jesus, shipwrecked while trying to tell people about Jesus. He's thrown in prison. He's hated. He's misunderstood. His life, if you look, and some of the people, he had to write to the church and say, some of you think I'm not following Jesus and I'm cursed because of all the problems in my life. You're missing it. I'm not cursed. This is part of the package. I'm experiencing the resurrection life of Jesus even through all of these things. And this is what he tells the church, Philippians 3. Write down the reference. Read it again when you get home. I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. Yes. To know, notice, the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I want the Jesus experience, the full package. So, so Jesus went about doing good and healing I want to know that. I, I want to know what it's like to walk like Jesus and let the Spirit of God work in and through me. And, and Jesus suffered and was misunderstood, and I, I want to know Jesus. And if that means being misunderstood, if that means being uh, uh, painfully hurt, I want to know that as well. And, and notice the nuance. Not that I've already attained all this. I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So, so I want it, and I'm not going to give up. Here's, the, here's this conclusion. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Like, I want to know the real Jesus. And he could write this while in prison. This is the mystery. When you have a resilient faith, you are not hammered when life gets hard. Now you feel it. You feel pain. You cut me, I bleed. But you somehow find resolve. And, and hear this again. The resolve is not your resolve. It's God's resolve imparted into you. So because Mary and Martha were already walking with Jesus, Martha could say, even though he's dead, hope is not lost. And you and I, we can be these kinds of people. Um, we have all sorts of things mapped out for the fall. Oh my gosh. Next week we start a new series, Welcome Home, through the rest of September. Uh, first weekend of October, Emerge Brighter, this long series looking at how we are going to be the people of God who grow during a pandemic and who live as an alternative to what the world is dishing out of what it means to live joy-filled lives in the middle of sorrow and live faith-filled lives in the middle of faithlessness. We're going to be these kind of people and then we're going to start the year and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, His power, His presence in our world and through our lives. I have all these plans, but I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea what the headline's going to bring tomorrow. And like you, I'm going like, God. But here's the cool part. I can and am going to live with resilience because my shoulder is pressed into Jesus, not into you. <laughs> like, I'm going to lean in on Jesus when I don't know what to do. I'm going to find wisdom where I don't have it. I'm going to find everything I need when I need it because I am so shackled to Jesus that he can't get rid of me if he tried. Well, by the way, he's not trying to get rid of me. 
And the same can be said of you. Will you lean in on Jesus? Look, you have choices that have consequences just like I do. And in a season with so many unknowns, you can press in and find yourself closer to Jesus, more learning from him, looking more like him, talking more like him, uh, responding to circumstances more like him, or you can find this season riddled with doubt and, and question, and you could find the vibrancy of your faith waning. Look, the temperature's either gonna get hotter or colder, and in this sense, your choice matters. Your, life, your choice really matters. Will you be the person like we see all over scripture who doesn't know what to do, but leans in on the power of God in times of need. I hope you will. And I'm gonna invite you to. So here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna participate. Why don't you stand to your feet if you would. At home, hopefully you've already gotten uh, bread or a cracker uh, and juice or something that is a good representative of the blood of Jesus Christ. And what we wanna do is we wanna enact faith. We don't wanna just be hearers, but we wanna be doers. So if you don't have communion, our friends at the back have some extra, we can get you some. And what we wanna do is those of us who follow Jesus, hear me, the call is to believe. And to believe is not to mentally say, yeah, I think that's right. To believe is to absolutely put your trust in the one who you're believing. So I flew from Malawi back home and I did not fly the plane, friend. I sat in my seat absolutely confident that the food was gonna be mediocre, that the entertainment was gonna be too big, and I would make it home. I didn't doubt once whether I was gonna make it home, why? I put my absolute trust and confidence that the pilot was going to get me to where I need to go. That's active faith. I sat and enjoyed. The lady sitting next to me, not so much. She was freaked out by everything. And there's the contrast. How, how are we gonna live this next season? Confident in a faithful God who's guiding or worried and scared and crumbling when things don't go our way? I, I want us to lean in on Jesus. So if you have put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, communion is for you. If you've not, then, and then do this. Right now, like literally right now, just say to Jesus what's already true. Jesus, here I am, Jose Zayas, a repetitive sinner, like repetitive. But Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and you love me enough to come and stand in my spot and take my punishment and pay for my sin in full. Now Jesus, save me. And if you will confess to God what he already knows and receive the goodness of God, you will be filled with eternal life. Life with Jesus now. Life with Jesus forever. And if that's you and you want to, as we take communion, make that your confession. Say, what do I need to do? Trust in Jesus and act on it. And by taking the bread, why don't we take the bread together? What we are saying as Jesus' people is I am not enough. Jesus, you are enough. Now, you in me and I in you. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Wow. He's come to give you all that you need. And so, Jesus, by faith, as your people, we lean in on you. And we don't just eat something, a piece of bread or a cracker. We say, we belong to you. Now, fill us, Jesus, with everything that we need. 
Amen. Let's eat together. We are the people of God who belong to Jesus. Side irrelevant note, um, our crackers here are gluten-free because we love everybody. They taste stale, man. I ain't gonna lie. That's not a... Jesus is amazing. Gluten-free, maybe not. Anyway. All right. We, we remember Jesus, his body, his blood, his sacrifice, his gift of love. I love what Jesus said. Every time you get together, you eat and you drink. And you know what you remember? You remember me. I love you. And some of you need to be reminded that Jesus loves you. You say, well, I did this. He, he loves you. Well, Jose, man, I am so out of where I should be. Guess what? He's not dumb. He's very acquainted with where you are, and he loves you nonetheless. What he's saying is receive grace, forgiveness, wholeness, so that you can live like a child of God. Jesus, we, your broken people, who have sinned continually this week and disappointed you on every level, we come as sons and daughters to receive fresh grace and mercy in our time of need. Lord, forgive us and heal us and restore us and empower us, we pray. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Let's drink together. Now, um, we're going to respond with in the room, singing, at home with singing, and then online and here. What we want to grow in is actually loving one another. So we have a prayer area for us in the building. It's at the back of the room. If you look back towards your left, uh, there's some chairs set up, and we would love to pray with you about anything. You say, well, it's not a big thing. It's big to you, and it's big to us. So at any time during the singing, I'm going to invite you to just make your way out and meet with one of our friends, and they would love to pray for you. Uh, part of how we live resilient is to, to go against the tide of greed. And so every week we take a collection. Why? So that there will be food in God's house, so that God's work would continue. And so thank you for living obedient lives, resisting the temptation to say, God, I need 100% of my money, but rather we give generously every week to remind ourselves God owns it all and he loves me. And he could do more with less. And if I live a generous, other-centered life, then God will refresh me so that all times and always I will have everything I need to be a generous Jesus person. So here uh, online, if you're there, you can just click on the give button. For the rest of us in our community, most give online. If not, if you're in the room, at our Get Connected table, there's a bowl where you could give if you're prepared that way. God, thank you for loving us this way. And now we want to respond with hearts that are full of gratitude and voices that are filled with praise. Lord, inhabit, come in and fill the praises of your people. Lord, we want to live like your people, representing you to this world. So we ask that you'd fill us again by the power of your Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we all said.